much. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Today's message is called The Bad Things Nate Does. <laughs> now that he's off the stage. No. That's awesome. Uh, growing up, I, I didn't really grow up in church uh, when, I was, when I was young. I started going to church when I was like 9, 10 years old with our neighbor. But, but when I was a, a real young child, um, my, my grandmother was Catholic, and so there was a lot of Catholic things around the house. One of the things that she had around the house was what I referred to as her bead necklace. Uh, it was a rosary. Did anybody have a rosary growing up or have one right now? Okay. So I was super intrigued with this rosary, with these beads that my my grandmother would pray through, and she had this little catechism book, too, that had all of these pictures that were super intriguing to me with Jesus and the saints, and they had, like, glowing orbs around their head. You know, as a kid, it was just, it was really fascinating, and my grandma taught me a prayer when I was a little boy, and I used to pray it through this rosary, and this prayer is kind of a launching point for us today, and I'm just going to give you the beginning of it. You've probably heard it before. This is found in Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus is talking to his followers about how they should pray, he says, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our launching point today, all right? Would you pray with me? God, uh, thanks for your word. Thank you uh, for how it, um, it breathes life into us, Lord. Your, your word, uh, Jesus, you are living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, you, you teach us things about what's going on inside of us, Lord. You're constantly revealing new things to us, and you get us to, to ask questions, Lord, and so today, as we look into your word, we're not, we're not trying to wrap everything up. Uh, we're not trying to uh, feel confident about absolutely everything that we, that we hear or read or delve into, Lord. We, we can't fully define you. We can't draw a circle around you and say, yes, that's who he is, and, and I know what's going on. Uh, but Lord, we want to know you more. Uh, and help us ask good questions today. Um, and help us dive into the story and trust the story. We love you. Amen. Uh, so, uh, for many years uh, growing up, I had uh, two major misconceptions about life uh, when it comes to that prayer, too. I, I had a misunderstanding about how to view the world, like the earth, like er everything from like earth care, taking care of the planet, you know, and just kind of how do I view this place where we live, this giant marble that's floating through space. I had mis misconceptions about that. And then I had a misunderstanding about how I am supposed to live out my life in the world. And I I'll give you an example of how I used to think, all right? And a, a lot of this, uh, I think, just kind of rubbed off on me from people I was hanging out with. And then sometimes it was actually uh, taught to me. This, this is what I learned about the world. And you tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Um, this world is not my home. This world is cursed. This world will be destroyed one day. This is, this is what I grew up with, right? It's, gonna be, it's all going to go away. As a matter of fact, my dad's a painting contractor, and when I was a kid working with my dad, uh, don't, don't fault, he doesn't do this anymore, don't fault us for this, but this is how we used to live, right? It's like you finish the job, and you're cleaning out your brushes, and you just dump them on the ground. Like, you, you just dump it there, and my dad used to say to me, it's all right, man, it's, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn one day. 
huge misunderstanding, huge misconception about the earth and the place that we live. Now, this is what I was taught about living in the world, how I was supposed to live my life. This is what I had in my mind. One day, I will escape this world. And heaven is a place that Jesus is, out there, up there, somewhere. Oh, and man, he is just waiting for me to get there with him. And, and he's ready for me to escape this cursed place and be with him. And this, this broken shell, this broken down clay pot that I live in right here, this thing, you know, is going to be done with one day. Now, there are huge problems for you and I as humans and as Jesus followers with this escapist kind of mentality uh, where we live with no care for the world that we live in and, and where we long for a heaven, some other place that exists up there. So first of all, uh, that's not the story that we, we read in Scripture that's, that's not how ancient Israel understood heaven and living here on earth. And it's not the picture that early Jesus followers uh, painted for us. The story of, of heaven and this heavenly existence, this place where there's no more tears, where you and I walk with God, uh, we see first in the book of Genesis, the very first book in our Bibles, when, when humankind is placed in this garden setting, right? And it's beautiful, and it's perfect, and it's not broken. Humpty Dumpty had yet to fall off the wall. Like, everything was good, and God was walking with humankind in the garden. That's the first picture that we actually see of heaven in Scripture, in the story of Genesis. And it's, man, it's so fun to read back through there. It's so playful. Go back and read the poetry in Genesis about how God cares for the world and how he's making it. Uh, my friend uh, Len told me, it's like, you get this picture of God making mud pies, right? He's taking his finger and he's drawing it through the dirt and the sand and he's doing things with water and land and he's shaping things. And God is playing with creation and he's enjoying it. And this is the first picture of heaven that we have where we're walking with God. Then, uh, at the end, the very end of all the stories, so that's Genesis on this side, <laughs> Revelation, we see another picture of heaven. And guess what? There's a garden, and there's trees, and people are walking uh, with God, and people are spending time with God. And every story from garden to garden, everything in between is the story about how God is putting things back together, how he's redeeming, how he's healing, and how he's calling you and I into a different existence that, in fact, is heaven. It's the place where God resides and the place where God wants us to be. I'm going to read for you out of, out of Revelation in that, that last story. Uh, this is great. In chapter 21, it says, uh, and this is John, uh, who wrote this book, John the Revelator, they call him sometimes, which, if I'm honest, sounds like a rap star name, but uh, this is what he says, <laughs> yo, yo, <laughs> forgive me for that. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Yeah, the word pictures here are amazing. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Where did it start? Among the people. And he dwells with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who is, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then in chapter 22, it says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood a tree of life. Sound familiar? Maybe? Maybe you've heard that before? Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture? The healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Wow. But see, now, is that a place that we escape to, or did something else happen there in that story, right? God is in the business of putting things back together, and one day we will be in a completely new reality that honestly, right now, we are getting a taste of. The Apostle Paul uh, says to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I think I also grew up with a misunderstanding of what Paul was saying with this verse. And I actually had a neighbor, uh, and he was like 175 years old, and, and he used to say that all the time. He used to say, as you know, he's holding his back, oh, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And what he was saying was, oh, dear God, take me now. Right? That's what he was saying. But I don't think that's what's happening in this verse. Now, if I put myself in the position of Paul, and I think through these words, to live is Christ, to die is gain, I can understand and I would hope that if I were in a position like Paul where I was facing execution, where I had been beaten, where I had been whipped, where I had been imprisoned, where I had been bitten by snakes and shipwrecked and, and stoned, that they throw things at me, not the other kind, right? Like if, if all of that, if that had happened to me, yeah, I could see having kind of an escapist mentality, but I don't even think that's what Paul is saying. I think, I think he's saying that Every day, everything I'm about is Jesus. And to live life with Jesus, man, that, that is the greatest thing. But you know what? You could take it away from me. You could take my life away from me. And, and you know what? Death is only a comma for me. It's not the end of the sentence. So he's not saying, help me, Lord Jesus, get me out of this place. He's saying, everything I am is about Jesus, and you could take it all away, and I'd still have Jesus. See, that's a, that's a much different understanding than, Lord, just take me. I think that we've been programmed, many of us, maybe not you, I have, um, been programmed to think of Jesus and heaven in the same breath as in Jesus is going to take me there someday, as opposed to Jesus is doing something new in me now, and he's bringing... We, we just sang that heaven came down, 
We just sang those words just a few minutes ago. Jesus is bringing heaven here on earth as it is in heaven. There's a, there's a new reality happening here. And the Bible tells a story of heaven and earth in this weird, crazy way that I don't fully understand, uh, overlapping, right? It's kind of like Velcro. I think although all word pictures kind of break down at some point, but heaven and earth are overlapping. Actually, this, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but this story just came to my mind. Remember the story? Have you ever heard the story of Jesus healing the blind man? Um, and he, he like spits in mud and puts it in his eyes, and he says, what do you see? And the guy says, oh, I see people like trees walking around. And then Jesus spits again, and then he, uh, you know, he says, no, I can see clearly. Did, have you ever heard that story, like me, and, and wondered maybe why did Jesus not heal him all the way the first time? Okay. Then I'm sitting with my friend Steve one day, and he goes, what if something totally different happened? What if Jesus overcorrected his vision the first time. And so, wait a second, right? So, so he, he looks and he sees people walking around like trees because he gets this overcorrected vision of this spiritual reality where people are connected to one another and to the earth and to God and everything. It's, oh, mind blown. Wouldn't that just be like Jesus, not to underheal, but to overheal and say, hey, I'm going to blow your mind here for a second, buddy. Look at that. <laughs> right? Heaven and earth overlapping, not fully connected, not fully realized at this point, but connected nonetheless. See, the end of the story doesn't end with all of us dying and going to heaven, but it ends with a fully realized heaven on earth. It's, it's a really interesting thing. This has huge implications for us and how we live our life. We're talking in, in this series about making our lives uh, better or impacting our world in 2020, seven different ways. Well, it has huge implications for us to understand heaven in this new way as opposed to, as opposed to some kind of escapism. Now, let's be honest. I mean, the tired me, the frustrated me, the me who had to look at this in the mirror this morning? Like the me who stepped in dog dew on the way here this morning? The me who has a sore back, right? That me wants to escape sometimes. That, that me wants to picture a different reality that I can, I can get rescued from. But you know what? Jesus does rescue, but not from. He rescues like in, right in the middle of it. That's what it means to be saved, is that he's rescuing us right now. He's not going to rescue us someday. He rescues us every single stinking day when we wake up. He's, he's in the business of rescue. It, it, that's an amazing perspective to have, whether, rather than walking around like a dead man walking, awaiting my exit. That's not what it's about. My wife and I love to go on vacation. Who doesn't? Can I get an Amen. So, we have uh, a little Airstream trailer, and we like to take our little Airstream uh, uh, around. It's like, a, like, like it's, it's a dream realized for us, right? Although I'm starting a business now, so I'll never go on vacation again, I'm, I'm starting to realize. But, but when we're headed off on vacation, it's all we can think about. It consumes us. It's all, it's all we can think about. I wake up and I'm like, I'm counting down the days. I'm like, I, I'm a 52-year-old man making paper chains like I did at Christmas time and like, you know, trying to figure out when am I finally going on vacation. It totally consumes me. When I'm in that spot, 
consumed about going somewhere else. I live my life different. I don't have room for you to come over my house. I don't want you to mess it up. I've got to keep it clean. I'm going on vacation. My daughter's going to do a good job of messing it up when I'm away, by the way. But I don't have room, right? I'm totally consumed by where I'm going to go. I imagine what it's going to be like when I get there. No. I think for me, and in many cases, maybe you resonate with this, that the Bible uh, has been treated in some cases as a manual for death. Uh, while the pages in this story are actually pointing to Jesus, who was constantly pointing to the Father and offering us a recipe for life. Now, See, when I was growing up, the chosen method of sharing the gospel, so to speak, or evangelism, the chosen method started with a question. If you were going to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I think that's the wrong place to, to start, quite frankly. And I don't want to fault those beautiful people that were sharing that, or if you've said that. And I, I've said it myself somewhere along the line, but, but, but that wasn't Jesus' approach. I, I think there's better questions like realizing a, 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 your, your full potential, becoming the best possible version of you, being connected to Jesus and impacting this world. And instead of saying, what's it going to look like when you die? How about, what is it going to look like when you start to live? Right? Like, what's it going to look like when, when we start to live? And so this is, this is what I think kingdom heaven life looks like for us in the here and now. All right, if I could boil it down to this, I don't think it gets any more simple than this. All because of Jesus. Ordinary people living out ordinary life in extraordinarily ordinary ways. That's the Jesus way. Like connected to him and doing life with people. This is life in the kingdom of God. And I... I have to suggest, I think Jesus was way more concerned about this, about living our lives, about feeding the poor, about taking care of needs for people, way more concerned than what happens to you after you die. Jesus is concerned with what happens to you when you start to live. So we go, that's great. I want to live. What does life look like with Jesus? Okay, hold on. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like suffering with people. It looks like vulnerability. It looks like praise, yeah. It looks like healing. It looks like celebration. It looks like prayer. It looks like opportunity. It looks like invitation. It looks like hospitality. It looks like help. And it looks like sweat. Not, not because we're building a kingdom. By the way, that's, that's weird language. We don't build a kingdom. God is building a kingdom. <laughs> we're participating with him in this. We, we get to. He invites us into this. This perspective changes everything. So like when we think about the Holy Spirit coming, I used to think that the Holy Spirit came because Jesus was on his way out and he said, hey guys, don't mourn, don't cry. It's okay. 
I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to be with you. And he's, he's, he's just like me. He's one of the same. It's okay. And they say, okay, Jesus, thanks. And we kind of wait for the Spirit. And that's, but wow, that's not what happened. The Spirit didn't come to comfort us in Jesus' absence. He came to strengthen us to do good work. He came to strengthen us to participate with him in this heavenly reality, in this kingdom. So that's why people say we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We aren't Jesus. We're not building a kingdom, but we're, we're participating with him. I like how the Bible says that we're his workmanship, created for good works in Jesus. So a question like what would Jesus do even is not the, the best question for us to ask. I think not so much what would Jesus do, but where is Jesus, where is he going, and how can I get on board with it? This is life in the kingdom. This is how we are going to impact our world in 2020. It's by, it's by paying attention and taking notes and carving new paths and developing new habits and participating with Jesus because Jesus brought to earth a whole new system. The heaven system is a whole new deal. When he shows up on the scene, everything is controlled by the powers that be. I mean, religion, economics, politics, like it was all created by the powers. And Jesus comes and he starts talking crazy talk. He starts talking about, and I know you even talked about this in the series a little bit. He starts talking about people having a voice and the poor mattering and, and women being able to lead, oh, 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 wow, all of these things that were so foreign to this world, but Jesus comes, and you know what? They don't like it at all, so what do they do? They kill him, and then what does Jesus do? He resurrects. It's the ultimate punch in the face to the power, right? Rock him, sock him, I have the final word. That's what Jesus says. And then Paul, later on, as he's writing, says this resurrection power is offered to you and I. It's the same resurrection power that's coursing through our veins that Jesus had. And so Jesus is calling us to live this life where we dig deep and we pay attention. And we, we take hold of this, this resurrection and this revolution that he bought, brought. Because the revolution, the resurrection is for everyone. It's offered to you and I. And this resurrection is subversive. It was the final claim to power. Jesus says he is the way. And he invites us into this. Now, one of my favorite stories of practically of what kingdom life looks like, of what heaven life looks like, uh, is found in the book of Luke. And I'll, I'll read this uh, just uh, out of 15 here. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, the powers, right, they muttered. <laughs> what does muttering sound like, by the way? I just think that's... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, sinner isn't just a Bible word, by the way. Sinner is a word, the word that we've translated sinner. It shows up all throughout uh, the language of that time. It's not something that just existed to talk about, you know, 
bad people, right? Uh, sinner was a word that was used in this culture that was a value judgment. It, uh, it meant that you were intellectually inferior, right? That you didn't, you didn't hit the mark. You didn't measure up. You weren't one of the cool kids, right? You hadn't, you hadn't paid your debts, right? You hadn't towed the line. You don't measure up. This is what it meant to be a sinner in this culture. And so these people are meeting with Jesus. They're not the religious mucky muck. They're not the people that have it all together, right? These people are meeting with Jesus. And the tax collectors, oh man, they're even worse because this is the, the Jewish people were looking at this time, ancient Israel was looking and saying, these people, not only are they, they sinners, but they work for Rome. Like, they've abandoned their own people. These people stink. And so they're mad. And what is Jesus doing? He's eating with them. He's doing the one thing that in that culture and even in this culture today says, you know what, you matter to me. You belong. So he's meeting with the disenfranchised and the disengaged and the people that are looked down upon and everybody in the religious culture and in the power culture is so angry at Jesus for doing this because he is meeting with unrighteous people. Here's the thing about, about righteousness. Uh, religion says we have to do something to be made righteous. But Jesus says, we have to know someone to be righteous. We have to know someone to experience heaven. And so Jesus is bringing those people at that table, heaven on earth that day. And because of the resurrection in this new system, this new revolution Jesus brings, then we can, we can tweak our thinking and we can impact this world. Not so much heaven is out there, but heaven has come and heaven is coming. And not so much I will get to heaven one day, but I can live a heavenly reality today. And not who is out, who is outside of the system, but who can I invite in? And not Jesus came to provide a way of escape, but Jesus came to welcome us in. And not this world is not my home, as much as how do I do his will on earth as it is in heaven? And not I can only imagine one day, but what is God imagining for me today as I participate with him? It's, it's just a different way of thinking, right? And I really honestly, as far as I understand it, and I may be wrong at some point, I really believe this is what Jesus is calling us to. I think Jesus is saying to me, take your head out of your proverbial bottom, John, and stop living selfishly. Stop living with this idea that one day, because the world revolves around you, John, <laughs> one day you're going to get to escape this whole mess. But no, 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 no. He's asking me a question, and he's asking you a question. He's asking us a question today. And this is kingdom life. Is there room in our lives for more people to belong? Is there room? Are we making room right now and inviting people into this 
life with Jesus that transforms, that renews, that heals, that puts things back together. That is what heaven looks like. I'm going to pray with us, and then we'll do something after we pray. Time-honored tradition. We're going to stand, we're going to shake hands, we're going to do what is called the passing of the peace or the offering of the peace, and we're going to say basically hello to someone today. We're going to practice what it looks like to make room in our lives for more people and to live with Jesus in this kingdom life. Now, as you do this, it's not the end, all right? So don't take off. This is not the big high five at the end, all right? You stick around because we got some more great things happening as we spend time together. Would you pray and then, and then we'll stand. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to something totally new, to a totally new system, God. Thank you that you're making all things new every day. With every tiny surrender, with every big surrender, Lord, you're revealing new things to us all the time. And Lord, please make us a people. Please, God, make us a people in 2020 that lives a kingdom life, that lives a heavenly existence, Lord. And we know that looks like more people and more time given away rather than hoarding our time and picturing us escaping it all one day. Lord, no. We want to live life with you. Thanks for being patient with us. And we love you. Amen. All right.